Thanks so much for watching our show. We really appreciate the support. It costs a lot to produce, so we're asking for donations and pledges here on Patreon. Thanks again. Welcome to See It and Feel It with Dr. Brett. And I'm Dr. Brett, and today I'm here with Christian Straka, a mental game coach, a peak performance coach, an entrepreneur, and a former tennis pro. Christian, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you very, very much for having me. Tell us about, I know it was a while ago, but tell us about the pro circuit and what your experience was like back then. And then, you know, like tell us how much it's changed and, and then we'll get into all the mental game stuff. I mean, you know, uh, the pro circuit is kind of on a continuum like any other sport. Um, mm. So the game is changing over the years. The technology is changing, not just in terms of the material that you're using as, play, as a player, but mm. also the technology that, you know, now you have this Hawkeye system, so you don't need linesmen anymore. Uh, right. In, like the very big tournaments. So, like, that's a really big change, yeah. actually. Um, because there's no wrong cause anymore. There was kind of a part of the game, you know, wow. before. <clears throat> yeah, totally. Then in some tournaments, um, you're allowed to coach. Like back in the day, there was never allowed to coach <laughs> during matches, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, the science is advancing so much that you um, you can train much smarter. So it's much more frequent that athletes like Federer and Nadal can play into their 40s, even though they're going all out all the time. And 20 years ago, you know, if you were playing still when you were 30, you were kind of considered one of the older players. So yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember Andre Agassi at 35, 36, or whenever he retired, he was pretty. His body was just destroyed. Yeah. So how long did you play for and tell us about your experience as a player and then how you evolved into a, a coach and an entrepreneur? Well, um, you know, tennis was my whole life. I started when I was very little, like four years old, just like playing a little bit. And then you advance when you're talented and you enjoy <laughs> and put in the time and work. So like any athlete in any sport, if they advance, it's generally speaking from like a young age. Mm. And then um, I was on like the junior pro circuit. That's kind of what you do in tennis when you're like mm. 12. It's the European circuit. And when you turn mm. 16, you go into like the global circuit. Um, and I was doing pretty well there. Um, and then, you know, played um, at the Australian Open with Federer. We got to the semis and doubles. And then uh, I went onto the pro circuit when I was 18. Um, but pretty soon after that, just like... I think maybe six, 12 months later, um, I started having uh, problems with my arm. Mm. And then every time I was playing, the better I was playing, the more matches I had. But the more matches mm. I had, the more my arm would hurt. So it was like a kind of an issue, right? Yeah, they call that would a catch-22. So yeah, totally. Exactly. And just like lose first round, then my arm would not bother me that much yet. But if I kind of broke through, then I my body kind of stopped me. Yeah. So after a lot of tests that resulted in um, me having a surgery there where they removed my first rib at the right side. Wow. Um, but that didn't help tennis. So after surgery and after rehab, I had to stop playing anyway. So mm. that was in my early 20s. I was like 21, 22, 22. I kind of stopped. 
Wow. Um, and then um, my mentor, my coach, Klaus Hofsess, who is one of the you know most successful uh, tennis coaches who has ever lived, he uh, said he thought I might have a good kind of um, touch for coaching. Mm. So I was like, oh, because I was considering you go going back to college or like I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I did tennis my whole life. Yeah. Um, so I said, okay, I'm going to try. Um, and I did like the whole certification process and this and that. But I really learned to coach from him because I was, right. in, I was living in Spain at the time. And he was teaching me to teach four to six hours every day for six years. So it's a wow. very rare kind of opportunity to get. Normally, if you become a teacher, you know, you get a certification. It takes right. a few weekends. It takes two years maybe, but like you do most of it by yourself. You got to figure right. it out. You, it's more theoretical. Right. And for me, this part was like a, on the back burner. I did it kind of to have it on paper, but the real like skill of coaching yeah. and the experience I got from him. And that is like, yeah. you know, um, something you can't pay for. Yeah, no, so, totally. It sounds like you had thousands of hours as opposed to other people and not just any kind of hours, but mentored by one of the best ever. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, very cool. And so tell us about, you know, how you evolved as a coach here. You know, what's different from you, you know, 500 hours into, you know, 20,000 hours in or whatever you are? Yeah. Um, that's, <laughs> I don't know how to compress that answer, but uh, generally, well, we had a little you know, bit of time here, so yeah. you don't have to compress it too much. We're not doing sound bites yet. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, um, you know, early on, um, I would say one of the kind of gifts that I have been given that I didn't have to work for was um, to be, I'm good with people. I can, yeah. you know, kind of tune into them. Um, I, um, we have a good relationship. It's fun. It's energetic. So to motivate other athletes on any level, kind of that, that is just something that I can do without having had to learn that. Excellent. So as a coach, we, that's kind we, of a good gift yes. to have, right? We, sh we share um, that in common. I agree with you. It is kind yeah. of a gift. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, what I was developing early on was, um, the methodology how do you teach and what comes in what order, whether that yeah. is physical or whether that is uh, strategical or whether that is mental, like what do you have to pay more attention to? Mm -hmm. um, so there was a long process um, and of course, much shorter process for me than for a lot of other coaches because of my um, mentor Klaus, who was, yeah. you know, kind of showing like, no, you can't like explain this to him. You have got to explain that to him first or mm -hmm. her or them. Um, so that took years to kind of refine and refine. And to be honest, 20 years in, like, um, You're it still, is still happening, yeah, totally. but it is like, now I'm at a point yeah. where I know that, okay, those are the guiding principles of like, you can't right. teach this before that. Okay. Right. But, um, within these, um, principles, there has to be this leeway where one person is kind of better at learning this foundational principle than another person. And then you mm. kind of take different routes. Um, and to the really the big difference between me coaching now and 20 years ago is that that is kind of an effortless flow. I like totally. look at yeah. somebody 
um, we work together, whether it's mental performance coaching or tennis or whatever else we're doing. And I kind of can go with what they're doing. There's like a big concept. Okay, this is our long-term goal. This is a midterm goal, what you should accomplish within a few months, let's say. Um, And now within that, I really take it kind of moment by moment. You know, I never go into a lesson with somebody and go like, this is what we're going to do. I might have a general idea, but I totally go with where the other person's at um, and then tailor the session towards their needs. How, you know, maybe we push it much harder today or maybe we can really easy. We can work on something quite uh, advanced or we have to go back to basics and like being able to move freely um, in these parameters with somebody in a way that is most beneficial to the athlete that is something that like i didn't have at the beginning it was more like this is what we're doing and like if it didn't work it was hard to um kind of adjust just right you know really uh turn the session into something where they benefit as much as possible yeah and i think that's really well said christian it's something obviously i can relate to as well you know i'm 30 40 000 hours in 20 five years or so, whatever it is. And so I'm in the moment wherever I am, right? As I approach a new person or a new situation, or it doesn't matter, session to session experiences. And it sounds like you're doing something similar. You've developed a high level of adaptability and flexibility on your end of the equation. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never thought about how many hours I've actually coached, but- um... It's a lot. You yeah, know, I exactly. I, I know I do like um, around 50 hours a week. So if you go. Um, yeah. And if you do 50 weeks a year, that's 2,500 hours times exactly. 20 years. That's 50,000. Right. So okay. look, you're, we got you know, it. Yeah. You're probably 40, 50,000 hours in as well. Yeah. Right. So, exactly. yeah. So exactly. that what happens is right. And, 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 and it's pretty obvious, right. You're also one of these people that are committed to a life of learning, right? So you're not just doing hours, you're constantly tweaking your game on your end of the equation, correct? Yes, very much. I mean, you know, I'd uh, read and uh, exchange as much uh, information and spend time with people that have a lot of knowledge that I don't have. Um, A lot of them scientists. So I'm very, you know, on my team and mind size in my company we have two neuroscientists um there is a neurobiologist at the university of sanford who is amazing his name is andrew huberman um so we're in exchange and i learned from him he has an, he has a podcast which is also mind-blowing like it's basically like you're doing a, a mini degree when you're just listening to his podcast um and i read a significant amount um that's on the theoretical side. And then on the practical side, I keep practicing the same, whether it's, you know, my own practice, but the actual coaching aspect is also a practice, really. I just literally, really yesterday, two times it happened that I was explaining something to my clients that I have never said before, ever, in 20 years, nor have I ever heard it. And it's wow, just pretty cool. Yeah, and those no, things kind of, you know, after 50,000 hours or whatever <laughs> it has been kind of happens, it's like yeah. you can... Start, or at least I can start now. Sometimes I kind of um, see things and can explain the same thing that I have explained, you know, a thousand or 10,000 times now from a completely different angle, but it's still the same thing. 
Yeah, no, wonderful. And I think that's really well said as well, Christian. What kind of situations trip you up? I mean, I would imagine not many, but occasionally, you know, we all get tripped up at times, you know, so I'm just curious, do you ever still get tripped up? And if so, you know, have you seen a pattern there? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what <laughs> triggers me is if somebody uh, kind of wants to work with me, but doesn't want to work. Right. Uh, then I notice like that, I have a reaction to that. Um, it doesn't really result in like, that's not in a conflict, you know, try to um, generally, if that happens, which really is very rare because, you know, if somebody comes yeah, to you and they motivated. pay money for yeah, totally. your advice and your right. coaching, whatever you're doing, it's very rare that somebody will just be, uh, unwilling to take in your input is totally. kind of you know to pay money for something that you actually don't want to hear is a rare situation but it does happen sometimes. does happen exactly. Yeah, exactly so how do you tend to handle that do you catch up with it you find yourself catching up to it a little sooner than you used to when it does happen you're like oh like yeah you know I mean? yes. <laughs> like, well we i go. mean i notice <laughs> it like basic uh, on the spot you know, because the, um, you explain something and then the person will kind of um, have a certain reaction to what you say, no matter how good they're able to implement it, um, you can kind of tell whether they want to implement it or not. Yeah, right? so um, fighting it or not, right? Exactly, exactly. So and, and at that point, I kind of break it Ooh. down for them um, intellectually. I give them like a bird's eye perspective. I was like, Ooh. okay, so this is what you're doing and this is what you're trying to do. And um, if you follow this path, then the most likely outcome out of my experience, which is the only thing I can, you know, talk about is this and this and this. This is what I've seen will happen mm. if you do this. This is what I've seen will do this. And it's going to take you maybe this much longer to learn something, or maybe there's an injury now that's more likely to happen and so forth. Um, the reason why I would recommend you should focus on this and try to do this instead is because of this, this and this. So it's Ooh. not, I'm not trying to kind of um, teach them something that they should do because they, uh, based on pure trust and belief in what I'm saying because of whoever they think I am or of my experience, but they should just, I try to get them to a point where they're open enough to try it out hmm. and they're, they become open to it because now just intellectually it starts to make sense even though mm. there's some aversion towards doing it they don't like it maybe so much and they like much better doing something else but now they understand ah, okay there could be a benefit gotcha. um, whether that is going to be a benefit or not nobody really knows mm. and the only way to find out is to try it out and mm. see for yourself um and yeah and i can uh, see how so that would be highly effective christian with people that are sort of a little bit more, you know, left brain, so to speak, a little more intellectual, a little more rational. But mm -hmm. there are times when people, what's the resistance is very emotional. It could be something a little bit more deep rooted. How do you go and, you know, how do you handle that dynamic? Yeah. Well, um, if somebody is <laughs> resistant towards something on a more somatic level, let's say, right? Mm. They're not arguing with me, which really that never happens because like their arguments are not based on logic and experience their arguments are based on just like 
a thought that they had because they saw something on TV or something. It's like, right. you know, it's very, very easy to dismantle their logic. Um, <laughs> so um, even if somebody is really emotionally um, just at a point where they don't want to do it, it doesn't feel good. I still have the logical approach because if you um, if somebody can get to a point where they reframe their perspective it can kind of like loosen to a certain degree this strong aversion towards it right right so yeah. you know, of course it doesn't go but it's maybe not like such a strong belief anymore there's like a light shimmer of like because the understanding of it helps you to kind of release that it's like oh maybe that's possible that kind of doesn't sound like complete nonsense what you're talking mm -hmm. about um and then when somebody has this aversion um, and the emotionality kind of that comes in, right? They don't like it or they get upset or frustrated by whatever they're doing. Then that is where kind of mm. my practice comes in, where I try to allow what they're experiencing, which is unpleasant for them. So I'm not making their aversion worse it's like no you should You're not, not feel bad their aversion. exactly no right. i'm like that's fine like it's understandable totally right. understandable that like yeah. you don't feel like good like this this is not working yet so by being <laughs> really equanimous with them with their aversion it kind of makes it a little bit easier for them to be equanimous with it yeah right? yeah so it sounds like you as a male have access to empathy which not you know, which not all males have a fair amount of access to, and that is part of what's making you a better coach. Is that is that accurate? Yes, um, I would um, maybe even put it into the category of compassion, mm. where if I would um, uh, differentiate the two, where empathy I would kind of define as one's ability to feel what the other person is feeling, and compassion being that skill and adding on top of that, that I wish something well for the other person. Yeah. doesn't even have to be something that I say or do, but it's just like, that's my intention behind it. Um, and the, so the compassion aspect, even though that's not something that I necessarily say uh, in the lesson, but I am really wishing them well. I am trying to help them with it. I am, you know, saying this is okay that you feel like that. And now let's try this. Like, I know it's okay be, um, because <laughs> I'm feeling that all day, every day also, you know? I, I just don't it. have such a strong aversion towards it anymore. You know, I love it because intuitively the, one of the next questions that's sort of popping in my skull here is just, you know, when do you get, what kinds of situations get you disappointed? Do you get other times when you get more attached to someone's success in some ways than they might? You know, are there situations where you do get disappointed? Mm, that's uh no actually it has not happened to me so far um my mentor kind of uh gave that on to me very early and he said never be you should never want success more than the athlete so if i want them to be successful more than they want to be successful for there's like a complete um disconnect so yeah, no, I, I go I, on I to the level of where they're at however much they want 
right? What they want to uh, achieve, how motivated they are, whatever their goals are. And then I kind of ride that, uh, you know, boat with them, so to speak. You know, I love it, Christian, because I'm, I'm smiling inside here and outside too, because, you know, getting a doctorate in my 20s, I didn't have your mentor. So in my 20s and early 30s, I was constantly, you know, more passionate, more motivated than, than many of my clients. I wanted more success than they were ready for, if that makes sense. Right? Yes, yes. And so I had to learn that the hard way. It sounds like your mentor was able to teach you that while you were still young and saved you a fair amount of suffering. A lot, yes. <laughs> and of course that came through, especially early on. Um, and um, at some t uh, points, um, it's also not the easiest thing to distinguish between just being um, kind of not caring about what the athlete's success is Right? Yeah. and being okay with what they want. It's not like um, that easy to distinguish those two. Just to, it starts to be irrelevant. Like, yeah, you run, you don't run. Like, I don't care, just do what you want. It's not that, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's not just that at like, all. No. You want to run? Great, I'm going to be there with you. And you're like, you don't really want to run? It's like, that's fine. I'm, I'm here to help you, to push right. you for sure, but not to a point where maybe in the... 80s in Eastern Europe and Russia, you know, they were kind of hitting them uh, with the back of their hand if they wouldn't run the way they were supposed to run. Yeah. Like, well, that, that would be contrary to the level of compassion that you're bringing, right? Yes. The <laughs> next level from empathy to compassion, it wouldn't, it wouldn't fit. Um, you, know, uh, you know, it's very interesting. Is there any distinctions in your opinion from you know, the people that you've coached, you know, and I'm just going to give it sort of an arbitrary, you know, people in the top 20 in the world versus top 100 in the world versus top 500 or something, Bring, you know, break down some of those distinctions that you've seen that separates given similar, you know, similar sort of genetic ability, because my experience is you have to have the it as an athlete and the it is, you know, partially genetic and then partially, you know, there, there are other factors there, mental and, so, and, and emotional and spiritual, right? So, you know, take me through that, your perspective there. Thanks for watching See It and Feel It with Dr. Brett and stay tuned for part two of this interview. Remember to like, subscribe and share with a friend.